Thanks for tuning in to the ABC Music Talk podcast, the show for anyone interested in the music industry. This episode is going to explore, in my opinion, the most exciting music industry related project in the decentralized finance area in the business at the moment, or DeFi. But first, time to remind you all to go roto your videos. Rota is for artists, managers, labels, or anyone in the music industry who needs to create video content for promotion or monetization. Rota makes it fast, easy, and inexpensive to do all of that in one place. Head to www.abcmusic.co and click the Rota logo on the homepage to access a 10% off discount for the service. Welcome to the show, founder and CEO of Paper Chain, Dan Dewar. Hey Alex, how are you doing? Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate this. Um, this is another one of those ones that we're recording uh, over the wire. So any technical uh, issues in the sound, I do apologize for in advance. Uh, but Dan has very kindly tried to record his end of this uh, for us. So that hopefully be nice and smooth. And Dan, where are you in the world? I'm based in Brooklyn, uh, at Bedsty currently. Um, had to move. So East Coast. Yeah, East Coast. Was in Manhattan and had a baby at the end of last year and moved out to the suburbs, as they say. Congratulations on the baby. Cheers, <laughs> and thanks, as we, we were just discussing before, he's now zooming around in a walker, crashing into things. So uh, if, if listeners, you do yeah. hear anything like that, do not be alarmed. <laughs> it's all under control. Dan's got this all under control. He's doing his thing. He's doing it well. So. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Uh, okay, so as I mentioned in my intro, uh, to me, at least, uh, Paper Chain is, is the most exciting implementation of DeFi in the music industry to date. So can we kick it off with a quick overview of what Paper Chain is, if you like the elevator pitch for the business? Sure. I mean, at most simple, we just call it, it's a wallet and card funded by a streaming revenue every day. Um, so we've been looking at this problem of what has happened in streaming media and media in general and this huge shift in consumption behavior where the ability to distribute and monetize content is instant, the ability to consume that is instant, but then the revenue and the payments hasn't kept up. So thought a long time about what data we can access to make that happen, what technology can help that happen. And we found this really nice stack that we can build on, particularly within the decentralized finance space of making it possible where artists and creators can now get paid immediately or at least daily uh, for the content that they're generating revenue on. Okay, and so just uh, maybe maybe start to break that down a little bit more. And very specifically, we're talking about identifying revenue that they are going to be due, and and it will arrive at some point. Um, but uh, they haven't got it yet, and there's a reporting cycle, and that's a bit of a delay. And so you're you're kind of solving that middle bit. Is that is that the best? Way of yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if you're an artist and you're generating income, uh, we're just tapping into the data that is uh, being generated, your streaming data. We can accurately price that uh, and then make that available to you instantly. So all that you feel is that you now have a product now or a digital wallet that is getting funds deposited daily based on your actual streaming activity. And you can access that through a card or you can spend it, you can withdraw it. Um, pretty soon you'll be able to earn interest on it. It's just about putting a really simple product in front of creators that makes it possible for them to now access their revenue as they earn it, rather than either waiting for it or having to go in and get an advance or a long-term loan. And But how did, how did you get into a situation where you 
have created this company. I mean, I know one of your other uh, you know, members of the team, co-founder, I believe. Um, I know where he came from. He came from the sort of the royalty side of the business and created a, a very, very cool company back in the day uh, to, to handle royalties. But, but what's your background? How did you kind of attach yourself to both this sort of mix of music industry and, and cryptocurrencies and blockchain and DeFi? Yeah, it's not that linear or, um, or, you know, I originally a long time ago, I was a sound engineer. So I was working in music studios just back in Australia. So record engineer, mix engineer, did a little bit in radio as well, uh, and then moved into film and TV. And I actually moved to New York in 2012 for the first time. Um, and because I wanted to work in music and film and TV in New York. And I worked on a few like independent films and things like that, some independent TV productions. Um, so really got a good understanding at the creator level what it's like to be in the studio capturing session musician information and then making that sure that flows back to the royalties and then hearing artists constantly talking about, you know, waiting to even get on this track or whatever or the royalty check wasn't coming. So just being a part of living that experience. But then ultimately it wasn't enough for me to earn decent income so I think I had to get like a real job I guess that could pay the bills um, found my way into data and analytics somehow um, and had to move back to Australia and started working for a company that just did like attribution modeling for large brands so looking at their media spend uh, being able to build a model that says well if you shift your budget into these channels this is how many sales orders you can generate and I was just always fascinated by what brands and advertisers were doing with data this was like in 2014 2015 so this idea of like single customer view and unifying all these data points across uh, mobile and desktop and offline advertising was like really fascinating to me because they were using data in such a really interesting way and oftentimes in a very powerful way where they could say if we shift a million dollars into this channel we can generate 70,000 sales and be pretty accurate with the modeling too and always just thinking like you know that wasn't really the case in the music industry there wasn't that level of data-driven thinking or decision-making uh, you know, typically it's like, okay, we have a budget for radio and we're putting, you know, we're doing a 50K push on radio, but the ability to then measure that in a very quick fashion is just didn't happen. And oftentimes it wasn't even the case. It was just, well, in two or three or four quarters, when we get the reporting data, we'll see how much money we made back or what revenue we got. And there wasn't that real time feedback. So I started thinking about a lot of those things, like how can you take this data and that is in the industry because at that time you know the industry was starting to generate a lot of streaming data um, how do you use that data to be able to you know impact the speed at which money can move um, and the other side of it is around that time was 2015 uh, I'd always been aware of Bitcoin and just knew it and kind of dismissive of it I guess it's just like well it's a currency that people use in various parts of the internet and so it wasn't until 2015 when Ethereum came out and I just started reading more about that, this idea that you could you know, effectively like represent tangible goods or assets digitally on the blockchain and be able to fund them. That It kind of like put two and two together and just figure out, well, there has to be some connection here. There has to be some way to take this data and be able to plug it into and create some sort of digital asset. And there has to be some sort of financial mechanism you can build around that. Um, and so that's what really started the genesis was like, there just has to be a way that this all fits together. And so I've spent like the last four or five years trying to figure that out. And I think we've got to where we are now, which is something that, that works. And I do believe solves this problem for creators. That makes much more sense now. I, I hadn't really appreciated your your background and your journey into that, but that that is that's actually it's more linear than you think i have a feeling <laughs> but, uh, yeah i guess it does um yeah that's fair 
<laughs> yeah, no, no, it all, I mean, it all makes sense. All that, that they're pieces of a jigsaw puzzle there. Um, and what, one of the things I w- sort of wanted to cover at the very beginning of this is that uh, if we can just sort of bring up the acronym NFT for a second, because I think for a lot of my listeners and, and just generally people in the music industry, there's been so much coverage over the idea of an NFT being nothing more than a GIF. Talk about how your can you? I mean, you mentioned it very briefly there in your description of when you when you started to look at Ethereum, how how you could attach real world stuff to the blockchain. So can can you just kind of give us a little bit more about um, how that that piece of it works? Yeah. So I mean, NFTs are non fungible tokens, um, which are effectively just digital assets or digital representations of assets. Um, What separates them from other cryptocurrencies is other cryptocurrencies are considered fungible tokens in that there are numerous of them and they can be swapped for equal value amongst a larger group. With non-fungible tokens, the idea is that they're unique and similar and they can't be easily like the value exchange between one and the other is never one to one. There's always some various difference. That's what makes them unique. Um, It's been an interesting start to the year. I think the way NFTs have kind of exploded. Um, We've sort of been around this circle for a number of years now and remember back to like the first album being released on NFTs, which was probably RAC maybe in like 2017 doing with the Ujo Music Crew. And it was like so far ahead of its time, obviously, that unfortunately I don't think that project was able to sustain um, and I don't think they're longer active now, but they were so far ahead of the time. It's just interesting to see everyone catch up to that. Um, Not only just within music, but then in the wider visual arts and media space as well. I think one of the interesting things is obviously what we've seen at the start of the year is this wild market where it's just a, it seems to be just a, a convergence of market influences and a lot of people having extra cash and the cryptocurrency space in general is doing really well. So a lot of people had a lot of excess ETH or a lot of excess Bitcoin that they wanted to deploy and, and uh, be able to leverage in some other way. Uh, and the other part to it as well is that it was kind of the birth of a new type of media, at least maybe not a media format as such, but at least a new type of distribution model that allowed itself to have valuations that weren't tethered to reality. And I think that's where you get examples where someone sells an NFT for two or $3 million or even higher is because the value of that is not being assessed on anything that's really existed before. It's like, okay, there's something unique about this digital asset. Uh, Maybe there's other parts attached to it where you'll get some sort of physical good in return. But it was really leveraging the hype cycle to say, well, there's nothing to compare this to. So we can push this as far as it goes. And when you're you know, effectively dealing with people buying in current cryptocurrencies like ETH, where there is no limit to what you can pay for instantly in a spot auction, a spot auction then you, you got to that point where it's just like the valuations were very high. And I think one of the things that's kind of happening is this maybe like a correction, but then also as people start to introduce different types of NFTs or how are they utilizing it, you'll see a various types of way people are valuing them. Um, so I've seen people like try to tie it to revenue. So it's like I'm selling an NFT and that represents future revenue. That immediately ties it to reality in some way because everyone can then go look at historical revenue and build a cash flow model and say, well, I believe this NFT is worth X. So I think you'll start to see more and more of that where different components of a business will be fractionalized through the use of NFTs. Uh, different types of media will be fractionalized. Some of that will be the sort of thing that is grounded to actual income or actual reality. It has a lower valuation and there'll still be other parts of it that get utilized by artists to create something very new, which is how that gets valued and the actual social value and the economic value is still largely left for the market to decide. Just to sort of um, 
paraphrase a little bit. So the lending component that happens within your business, it's taking that trend data report from, say, a Spotify, Apple, etc., and it's turning it into an NFT because, but by the, by the definition, it, it is unique in the sense that it belongs to a, a company, an individual, or a piece of music, or, or whatever. Um, and it's of course then different to anything else that comes out from a Spotify or an Apple in terms of trend data reporting. And you're creating that that NFT. So you're. Uh, is it fair to say that it's a little bit like? Um, just I'm just trying to think of good ways of explaining this and paraphrasing it for people. Um, is is it a bit like invoice factoring? Is it, is it that kind of concept? Yeah, we took uh, the basic model from invoice factoring, the idea that you had some sort of future income and then could monetize that. Um, so it's just a, how could you represent that digitally, I think. Because we do find that when we talk about NFTs, most people in the music industry, in the media space, uh, have a very different idea of NFTs. They're thinking about media NFTs or art NFTs or music NFTs. Um, as an aside, I don't think music... I don't think music NFTs are that valuable yet, uh, just because I think it's a different media to visual art. So I haven't, I haven't really figured out what the really great use case for music NFTs are yet. But when we talk about NFTs, we're talking more about a financial instrument or financial asset. So um, this is something that the block, like Ethereum in particular, has been really good at building different markets and financial markets around different use cases for not only fungible tokens, but also non-fungible tokens. And so, you know, there's different protocols that leverage these different levers in different way, are able to leverage different assets in different ways. So we worked out a way where we could take data, uh, you know, basically time box the value of that data. So this is data representing one day or one week or one month. Um, we know when the repayment is occurring. We know who the counterparty is. We know the general value of this. So we can then issue an NFT or a digital asset uh, that has, you know, the value of the forthcoming revenue, the discount that's attached to that, and then be able to plug that into different lending protocols to say, well, here's an NFT we're putting up as collateral. We can then draw from those protocols the value of that NFT and then pay that down to the users. And that's sort of like the mechanism that makes it happen. Um, it's always been something we've been, like we've been working on this for at least since the end of 2018. So a while now, um, because I think operationally, there's some really compelling larger implications that come from getting this thing right like you know for us especially like you know it's not longer like we don't have to go to a bank now and get a credit facility and say hey and be on the hook for a 20 million or 50 million dollar credit facility and the cost of maintaining that the cost of refinancing at the end of that either we as a company now can just tap into an almost limitless pool of capital without having to run that on our books so we don't have the cost of maintaining that and as we scale our business we just uh, automatically have this system that is constantly pumping in collateral, allows us to pull money out uh, and that can work and scale at the speed that we need it to. And it's also helped us get capital at the price point that we want to get as well. This point here is that you've read my mind. This is exactly sort of my, where I was going to sort of take the conversation because what you've done is is so important and relevant to the music industry. I I, I didn't interview a, a lady called uh, Remy Harris, a good friend of mine. She, she wrote a book about essentially helping people to fund their music projects because if you're an artist, it's very difficult. You can't go into a bank because the bank will say, what is it I'm lending against? You know, it isn't a, you know, a, a necessarily a, a physical product like a car or something like that that you might be able to get a loan for. And so the, 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 you just have very limited options. And of course, traditionally, 
you know, the, the music industry has sort of lent within its own ecosystem. So record companies and publishers being probably the most obvious way with which, you know, cash flow is, is achieved, you know, through through the concept of the advance. But what you've, what you've done is you've tapped into liquidity sitting in the cryptocurrency world where people are wanting to make money, they're, they're wanting to lock their their cash up into these these vaults that where that money can then be redeployed and you know utilized in other ways. And and of course, the the, the really hard thing for all artists or songwriters is how do you how do you get to the next day right and if you've got a project out at the moment and it's doing quite well you want to perhaps double down on some of your marketing spend but you can't do that unless you've got the money to spend right and so what you've done is is so fundamentally important because what you're saying is almost as soon as and i know it's not exactly instantaneous but it's it's damn close to it as soon as that that track is played on one of these uh, streaming services and and presumably this can go into other other forms of uh, exploitation later on. But right now this is the, you know this is a, a very good use case. That money can be accessed and and then it can be redeployed. And of course all of this is uh, you know it's a sort of a compounding uh, positive to the output of the artist because they're able to make more because they're able to communicate to more uh, you know enlarge their fan base or however they're doing it. Go on that tour, spend that money on that you know ad spend on uh, you know on a new music video that they've decided to make part way through the campaign or whatever it might be they can now do that because they can access their money much sooner and much faster uh, and and that that that's why i'm so excited about what what you've done because you've actually solved using blockchain technology a really important problem for the music industry and you've done it in a in a way that really only this blockchain technology could be used for because to me this there are so many other uh, I've, 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 you know, I've been in the music industry a long time. Went to a lot of panels, heard a lot of people talk about it, and I always felt that whenever it was got talked about, they were almost trying to solve a problem that wasn't there. They were just trying to deploy the use of blockchain technology into a current situation, and there was actually no real need for them to do it. They were just making it harder. Right? <laughs> Whereas what you've done is you've actually, you've actually found a really good use use of it. Um, I appreciate that. I mean, I think we've been pretty thoughtful about how we've approached it. And we, I mean, you know, our first attempt at this was probably 2018. Um, and we had, you know, we had a, an application, a web application and users could log in and we had the MetaMask integration and we had this like two token model and we had this marketplace. So a user could come in, connect their data. They could start to issue their own tokens that can be sold and then finance through a marketplace. And but you know, it's just like at that stage, especially, it was just like people were like, "What is this? Like, why do I? I don't need tokens. I want money. Like, I need to pay rent or I need to invest into marketing." It's like these things don't really matter that much to my business. Maybe that would do differently now. I'm not sure, but we just like that was a learning for us that there's still a long way to go for not only just the artists but also the business layer as well to interoperate with it. And so we thought a lot about how we could abstract a lot of that. I think there are there's more of an acceptance now where people would be willing to get paid in ETH. I mean, some artists are if they're monetizing NFTs, and a lot of times they're getting paid in ETH. So there's people are getting more familiar with wallets. Um, I think the idea of stable coins that people, particularly artists, are getting more comfortable with. So I think there's opportunity to bring in some of that into the product. But largely, we've tried to abstract all of that. So it's just a back end operation that, as an artist, all you're feeling is like it's just payments to you. It's just like it's, I'm not thinking about these different mechanisms that are running behind it, I'm just connecting data and being able to access that. 
Um, to your point about reinvestment, that seems to be like the number one thing when we talk to artists. We've even polled artists and things like that. And that's always what comes up is the number one reinvestment is marketing and promotion. And that's what they need to use it for. And, you know, we looked at, you know, I don't know, there's some great like documentaries on Netflix um, and YouTube, like looking at G-Eazy and a couple of other artists like the Sonder crew. And it's like, you know, just talking about their way to growth and they saved up all of their money from every YouTube video and they'd save up for a year and then they'd make a video and then that's sort of how they'd kickstart the whole thing. we want to impact that entire cycle now because it's like it's not about saving up now it's like you're getting and accessing to that you can flip things over much faster and as an artist be able to reinvest and take more control earlier than you can otherwise to your point you can you know the way to access cash is to either do a label deal or some sort of other advance and i think that's just been it's worked for some artists but for the majority it hasn't really worked and so i think it's been just like they've just been a really underserved market for such a long time so we're really happy about bringing something new that can hopefully make the playing field more even or at least give them or democratize access to financial products that they didn't have access to before yeah and and you know and i think i'm always very careful on on this podcast to not um you know sort of talk down about many of the the great organizations and companies um you know that are in in the music industry and and actually certainly you know i spent a lot of my time on the indie side and and a lot of you know independent record companies and sometimes this is a manager that's really just set up a label for you know facilitating putting their their managed artists you know records out sometimes that cash flow it's not just about the you know the, the artist being a you know a, an independent diy on their own they they're, they're doing everything on their own sometimes it is just the fact that there is not enough firepower in those companies that are trying to help these artists, you know, get to the next stage of their career. They just don't have it. They don't have it to risk and, 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 and all the rest of it. And so, again, sort of shortening that cycle means that perhaps they don't need to take such a, uh, you know, a large advance from, say, their distribution company, right? And so then the distribution company can cut them a slightly better deal in terms of the commercials. And, and all of this is sort of a trickle down into hopefully a better reward for the artist who, who is actually making the music. So, again, I, I just, I just really... I thought it was so elegant how you solved an actual problem by using, you know, blockchain technology and unlocked very specifically that liquidity that is is so sought after by so many sort of facets of of the the record industry. So I, I thought that was really good. And and so you, I don't I don't know how technical I want to get on this episode particularly. I don't know how 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 bothered by uh, by that, those sorts of things my listeners are. But I do want to touch upon something you mentioned just just then about how the the introduction of or the acceptance of uh, use cases for stable coins, because you do use the die stable coin within the sort of the, the back end of what you've done. That you've, that you've not that you've hidden it from people. You've just said, look, it's not important. It all works. Just worry, you know, you just worry about this bit. But, but would you mind just trying to explain as best you can? Because, and and I will try and shortcut this slightly for you. So when I started looking at it a bit more in depth, what I throughout my research, what I didn't realize was even how the banks issue money. Right. And, and of course, the, the concept of the gold reserve and then they're, they're actually creating uh, the currency, lending it to, say, a high street bank. And then when it's repaid, they, they, they rip it up, they burn it, they, they get rid of it and then they mint more based on the next arrangement. And, and that's what's happening within these, these systems. Right. And so you're using the, the MakerDAO protocol and the DAI stablecoin. Can you talk a little bit about that and the Tin Lake implementation? I don't know if I don't know how easy that is to do in a in a sort of. <laughs> uh, um, I'll try. I'll try to hopefully make it um, straightforward. Uh, 
I think, you know, one of the things in the ecosystem in general was people were aware of the volatility of cryptocurrencies as an asset in general. Uh, and, and so if you wanted to get mainstream adoption or even institutional adoption and, and have reserves, banking reserves starting to think about looking at this, they needed to get away from that level of volatility. And so a number of projects started just looking at how could we create more price stable currencies? Uh, and the stable coin has been like one of the a big focus for in, in the ecosystem for the past couple of years. And there's been like two different ways to solve that. One is um, like a backed stable coin or uh, which is usually backed by US dollars. So for every dollar in cash that's sitting in a bank somewhere, they'll issue a digital dollar that is a digital representation of that dollar. Uh, and the idea is that that'll maintain its peg because it's backed one-to-one -one with an actual US dollar sitting in a bank somewhere. So um, those are like, you know, Gemini, Tether um, with theirs. Um, so there's a number of like backed reserve stable coins like that. And the other side of it is algorithmic stable coins, which uses some fairly complex money or uh, uh, equation algorithms to work out based on the amount of collateral that's sitting in a reserve pool somewhere there'll be an amount of, there'll be stable coins issued and it uses a number of different economic levers to make sure that based on supply and demand that peg will largely stay around one dollar but they're not backed by usd they are backed by a pool of other currencies maybe eth maybe it might be wrapped bitcoin or various types of different currencies but there's different levers that they leverage to make sure that the peg maintains the, the stablecoin maintains its peg one-to-one -to, -one to the US dollar. MakerDAO is an algorithmic stablecoin. Um, it's probably been one of the longest projects out there that's been working. It has been very effective at, you know, at maintaining its peg. There'll be, I think there's been a couple of incidences, like maybe two or three incidents over the past couple of years where the peg has dropped, but it's been solved. Um, usually that's to do with like when the market acts irrationally. So if there's a huge runoff, but importantly, I think in the huge like sell-off that happened at the end of 2017, um, it was able to maintain its peg throughout that. So I think you know they're getting better, and the algorithms, are, at least the the systems, are starting to get better at maintaining that peg. Um, and so all that's been about is just like trying to reduce, like or trying to produce some sort of digital asset that is now without volatility, and that's what we like about those as well, because this idea that if we're taking this data that say worth you know, $10,000 and then converting into a volatile cryptocurrency. And then at some point, if we go to, or the artist goes to then cash that out, and now it's worth $8,000 because the market dropped, like that wasn't really like acceptable outcome for us. So for us, it was about finding a way we could leverage something that's more stable. So if an artist is earning that $10,000 and we're doing this on the back end, when we're paying out, it's $10,000 always, and we can maintain that price point and, and maintain a stability of that. Um, right now, what we're doing is, you know, on our back end, we're interfacing with this protocol. We're getting this DAI stable coin put into our digital wallet, and then we're converting that into USD and then paying that into the customer's accounts. I think the opportunity now is that as people get more comfortable with it, we can introduce the concept of the digital dollar because there's a lot of benefits for an, an artist or a creator to actually keep that in DAI. And one of them is largely just around money movement because the most, the slowest and most expensive or at least inefficient part of our entire process is that conversion from DAI into USD. Like right now we can take a piece of data, we can collateralize that into an NFT, we can plug it into the protocol, we can get 10,000 DAI into our wallet. Um, the cost of that, um, it wasn't it used to be a couple of dollars, it's a little more now, but within a matter of minutes, we have 10,000 DAI sitting in our wallet. And then if they had a digital wallet, we could send it to them in a matter of minutes as well. And you've just done almost an entire like funding cycle in a matter of minutes for a very low cost. 
uh, right now we transfer it to USD and so there's like there's a cost to do that um, the clearance time for the banks as well can take up to, to you know, almost a week so you know this initial process of funding the die happens in minutes and then the process of getting that into USD takes can take up to a week as well as the cost of wires as well so it just introduces a lot of friction um, so I think you know for us it's like an opportunity to educate people about digital dollars and their, how there may be benefits for them to be able to incorporate that and keeping it in there because then they can then use the advantages of moving that money around as well. I do think there'll need to be some other things enabled for them to do that. For example, like being able to spend on a card that's connected to a stablecoin wallet, which just isn't, it isn't there yet. I think um, Circle is probably the closest to that, but even then it's not, uh, I don't think it's fully operational yet, but I think that's like the closest to being, um, to, to achieving that. But even then there's still some, you know, there's still some pieces there. So. I think for that, you know, once that part is solved, then people will get more comfortable. Because again, for me anyway, I think I look at it as just, it largely has to be like, how can I use it in my everyday? Um, I don't think for most people, it's a political decision whether they're using cryptocurrency. It's just like, does it, does it work for me in my everyday? And once that part is solved, I think you'll start to see more adoption or more usage of that. That was excellent. Uh, really, really clear. Thank you so much for, for breaking that down for us. I hope for a lot of people that will start to uh, demystify some of this because it, it is confusing for, for, you know, for anyone who hasn't spent the time looking into it and, and reading about it because it does just sound very complicated because of all the jargon. But what I thought was really interesting there when, when you were talking about the idea that actually people sort of remove that need to always back that that coin token into something like the US, the US dollar because if you think about it in a in a in the in the production of that music there are many players and that could be a marketing company as much as it could be a you know a, a you know a drummer or something in a band and if you were if you needed to make payments to any of these people then there is no real reason why you have to always pay them in US dollars if everybody understood that they could receive these stable coins like like the die stable coin um, and of course these days there are so many to- token swap apps that mean you can move from one to the other so quickly yeah absolutely like there's no reason why that money that that you're making available to them in that in that stable coin for, for, I know you're not doing that right now, but you, if you did and, and therefore it was much more instantaneous, then they could actually, in their own little ecosystem of the things that they've got to get done, just send that money to people so that they've got it. Because then you start to sort of remove that 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 need to make that conversion at one point so quickly. Other people can make their own decision about when they actually need to back that out into a fiat fiat currency, you know, that, that is the way of describing US dollars, sterling, etc. Right, and also because, especially the, the usefulness of a stable coin is, at least in the US, is that, you know, they consider cryptocurrencies to be property. So when you convert it into USD, that's a sale event, which is a taxable event. Um, but if it's a stable coin where there's no respect one-to-one, then you kind of avoid that. So there is some ta- tax help there, I believe. Um, but to your point about like issuing payments, like that was one of the things everyone started talking about was this idea of smart contracts and royalty automation, right? It's how do you have this contract that can capture deal terms and splits and then you can just send a bunch of money to it and then based on the logic it can immediately spit that out and pay all of the the, the, the sub subscribers to that contract um, which i think is it'll get there i think the fractionalization of media and assets and rights will happen um, but to your point about people talking about it but then not actually solving the problem was kind of like okay it solves a problem of distribution but 
as we know in the industry, a lot of times attribution is like the biggest problem. And I don't think it solves that. It's like if you have bad data or incorrect rights holders on a smart contract, it's still bad data and incorrect rights holders. It doesn't solve that problem. Yeah, absolutely. That that's that's often the one that, that people, you know, pick up on, you know, this idea that you know, this is all gonna be easy. You know, we don't we don't need lawyers anymore. It's, it's, yeah. you, you you just like I, you know, or, or, or you could just put that streaming service on the blockchain, whatever the hell that means, right? But, but it's like, but that sounds like a terrible idea because we've already got problems with people, you know, uploading a you know, fake Kanye West album or whatever it might be, right? You yeah, know, it's, yeah, it's like these, these, you're still going to get bad actors in, in all of this. Your point there about having good data go in uh, and it, you know, these systems are only as good as the data that you put into them, right? So, yes. uh, you know, I wrote a blog post for another company. I gave you guys a shout out um, the other day and I, and I talked yeah, about... I appreciate that. So, so, yeah, of course, no problem. Uh, I mean, as I say, I'm, I'm very much enamored with what you've done. And one of the things that, that I think we're going to start seeing is, is companies almost trying to rebuild what they've already done. I mean, most of the record industry is, you know, is, is mired in their, their legacy tech debt. And, and they're always trying to sort of you know, reinvent themselves and building on top of each other. And I think there was certainly a period of time where people, were, we, they thought that, oh, they could just switch it to, you know, it being blockchain. And, and you just think that, that, doesn't, that doesn't take away any of the problems that you've already got. You know that you've got uh, conflicts happening in, in, in claiming of rights in particular. Uh, and, you know, you think about, I mean, I, you know, I built Level for, for Warner, uh, which is their DIY distribution platform. And we had to have Audible Magic in there because otherwise people were just going to upload whatever they wanted and, and, and claim audio that belongs to somebody else for themselves. I mean, this, this is this is a huge problem in the, in the industry. So it's all very well and good saying, oh, well, it's okay, but you can just, you know, have that one unique you know, token that sits on the blockchain that represents your music. Okay, but somebody else could also upload that and claim that as theirs. And, and Audius, probably the best known streaming service that, that has tried to implement this, you know, that is, you know, hampered by the same problems, right? I mean, you know, have you uh, got some thoughts yeah. on Audius? Um, I do know that, you know, they, they got a lot of bad press maybe a year or two ago when people were uploading like Kanye West albums on there and they didn't really have a process in place for detecting fraud or anything like that i'm not sure how it's how they've resolved that i believe like if you're the rights owner you can like make a claim and then i'm not sure how it actually gets taken down because the idea for a lot of people with it's like on on the blockchain is that it's permanent um so I, I don't know if the actual media disappears or whether they just act to remove it from the library that they actually have to stream i do like the audience project um and a lot of some of the ideas behind it i think it's very cool I think they have to solve the monetization piece. It's just like everyone gets paid. I don't think artists. I don't think artists are getting paid yet on that. But I think eventually, the idea is you get paid in their coin, and then hopefully, if the coin increases in value, then you will. Um, then you, as an artist, obviously, that'll have some value too. I think that's where they've managed to survive, which is very good. Um, I think a lot of projects that came out like 2017 were doing the same thing. It's like you know, stream on our platform, you get paid in our coin. But then when people realize that the coins weren't worth anything, then it's like, well, it doesn't actually help me make money. Like I'm putting up, I'm putting in all this work and putting on here, but these are, these, there's no actual economic value being imparted to me. So most of those projects end up dying. So I think Audius has done very well to survive. Um, I think other, other things that are philosophically interesting about it, like uh, I think yesterday there was the news that SoundCloud uh, were going to double down in A&R and things like that. And so from an Audius perspective, 
you know, they're focused on building more of a decentralized system where it's a protocol that can enable, uh, you know, direct artist uploads, direct fan engagement, direct monetization. And so the general philosophical idea is that that decentralized system is capturing more value at the creator level. And you contrast that with maybe SoundCloud's decision, which seems to be more uh, trying to accrue value vertically within SoundCloud rather than down to the down to the users or spreading that down to the users. So um, again, I think yeah, I, the ideas behind audits are really interesting. And then um, hopefully if they've resolved some of those things around uh, fraudulent uploads and things like that. Um, but again, I think they have to solve the monetization piece for them to really take off. And that, that's always been the case with any project is, uh, does this replace my income on Spotify or not? Um, and if not, then it becomes, you know, how does this really make any value for me? Which is like, goes back to the NFT thing is that a lot of artists and music artists found success there because now I can sell an NFT for $2,000, which would take me, maybe take me two years to earn that on Spotify. I think we are really still only at the very beginning of, of all of this. I, and as I say, your project stands out because it's, it's, a, it's solving a real problem. Whereas some of these other things are, they're, they're getting closer to it, but they're not, it's not really solving the exact problem. And I, I, I like the audience thing because it sort of has sort of aspects of that director fan concepts you know which is the band camp thing that, that's really done very well recently that is that i suppose where cryptocurrencies are addressing some of the the issues with the the, the monopolistic aspects of the finance world things like audius theoretically and Bandcamp theoretically are allowing sort of the removal of some of those layers of of, of noise between the the artist and the audience and and it's getting them closer and and actually you know helping them earn a living directly by the because they control can control much more of it i interviewed um uh, the founder of uh, superpass which is a um, kind of an early version of, of you know Patreon or, or something like that, right? And you know they their whole world is about you know trying to help creators earn money directly from their fans and actually have a relationship directly with their fans, and so that they can c control that communication layer as well. And so all of these sort of little you know projects or big projects, you know are are addressing real problems like to me at least they they are getting people closer to having a much better ability to do a honestly just do a better job of being an artist and being you know being able to communicate with your fans I mean, that seems to get that seems to often get lost because other people want their pound of flesh they want to get in the way they want to say that they're helping but I don't know that they always are and so I I as I say I, what I really like about yours is it just seems to just cut out so much of the 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 noise you, you know you've taken on the difficult bit of figuring out how to do it um but you and you've and you've made that much easier for for people so uh, so i really appreciate that so so who who are the sorts of companies that are, are using paper chain right now so we've you know we started out looking at this from a b2b level and working directly with distributors and labels um so these are you know companies like cartel um tierra de fuego zender so independent um label services and distribution companies. Uh, at that stage, we are just like issuing payments monthly. So, you know, uh, get to the end of the month, we're in May right now, come June 3rd, there's a payment for your month, for your May income, which is typically for them around like, you know, depending on the deal terms, could be anywhere from 60 to 90 days ahead of when they usually get paid. That 
you know, what we were missing there, I think, is just that how do we impact the end creator and end artist? Uh, that was kind of missing for us. Um, and so how can we also make that easier uh, for the distribution companies as well, right? Because now they have this money that now they have the liability of having to distribute that. Um, and so as we thought about how we put together the, the wallet and card product, it's like, well, this makes it easy then because then we know who's generated it. We can distribute that to them. Now you're just like, the money is just funneling straight to them. You don't have that liability anymore. So you're providing a better payments experience for your creators. Uh, you can get them paid faster. And it, and, and then it just also lowers your not liabilities, but lowers the, the admin overhead you have for distributing that because now everything just flows through our system, which is largely automated. Um, when we first launched, like we launched the product proper in June last year. I think first month we paid out $2,000. I think we're just about to cross well, this month we crossed a million dollars i think paid out um and then right now we're just in private beta with a couple of large distributors um, onboarding like some of their top artists right now um, starting to issue payments and hopefully end of july i think we'll start announcing some of those partnerships and then the artists that are using it uh, and hopefully what we want by the end of this year is that not only, like right now we're sort of limiting who can access it from a, from an artist standpoint because we want to make sure we have the relationship with the distributor because we need to get access to the bulk API keys and that's what makes it possible for us to actually do the daily payments. What we want by the end of the year is that any artist or creator can open up a wallet and a card and get access to that, but not all of them will have access to daily payments. So you can get access to the card and you can enjoy the benefits of using it and send any money or any of your income. And this can become the place where all of your digital income earns. Once we can add you know, digital wallet capabilities, if you're selling NFTs, you can send your ETH there so it can all live in one place. Um, and then if we do get integrated with your distributor, then you can get daily payments. And that's where it becomes really interesting for you. Um, because I think, you know, again, I think it's a convergence of a lot of ideas and a lot of uh, philosophies over time. People have been trying to solve this. Um, on Again, the artists are doing very well in the, the NFT ecosystem around that direct sale experience. I think there's some areas that could probably like the post sale is some sort of areas that can be optimized. Like, okay, I have this NFT. What do I do with that now? So the ability to plug in and access new experiences based on how you're interacting is like really interesting. And that's where as a fan, you can sort of start to monetize or start to build some sort of monetized community. And then, um, you know, we're just starting to think about how that sort of plays into how we can best serve artists and what they're trying to achieve as well. And what, what other DeFi projects are you, are, you, are you sort of seeing in the industry at the moment that you quite like and wish you'd thought of or anything like that? Is there anything else that you're, you're noticing? Uh, I, you know, one particularly within music and the NFT space is like Eula Beats, um, which I was like, really just, it took me a while to get my head around, um, but it's like, uh, like more of like an out, you know, it's, it's one of the, so one of the things for, for people listening is like one of the limitations with NFTs right now is there's a limit to what you can actually store on there. You can't actually store media on there yet. You can store maybe a hash that references media, but when you're buying an NFT, you're really buying a, a digital asset that points to the real asset, which sits on a server somewhere. Um, Eula Beats was to me, one of the first to try and incorporate the actual underlying uniqueness of the media or the audio into the NFT itself um, by doing this algorithmically generating uh, these algorithmic music that would then the pattern of that would get captured in the NFT. So the NFT doesn't exist without the music, which is to me is like, I don't know of any project that actually done that yet. Um, and then the way they also price the contract is that the price of those NFTs are actually 
captured in a bonding curve, which is an economic theory around uh, you know, supply and demand and how that impacts and can drive uh, the cost of, of an item. Um, and so what happens is when the first NFT is minted, and they call it like a record, so they press, you press the NFT like you'd press a record, and that may cost one ETH to do that. Um, and so now this is live and this is an NFT and anyone can come and then duplicate and press that record again so they can make a copy and own the copy of that record. But every time someone does it, because it's attached to a bonding curve, the price of that increases. So the first time may cost one ETH, but then the next person who wants to make a copy of it, it costs them two ETH and then it keeps going up. And so some of the initial, some of the initial presses, uh, the first, you know, the first issuance was one ETH. And then I think at one stage it was like, it costs like nearly $100,000 if you wanted to make another copy of this NFT. Uh, and at each stage of that sales process, the original creator is getting 8% of the resale value. Um, so I, I don't think it's scalable because obviously you're pricing out a lot of people who can't afford that. But I think it, it was a really novel way to look at how different economic theories could play into monetizing content like that. And so if you think about the implications for how it could work for licensing and other sorts of uh, monetization aspects of media, I think there's something there, um, which was very interesting. And I've also just been like diving into the world of like DAOs, uh, which is just like, you know, decentralized governance and things like that, and how they could potentially solve things like curation and taste making, uh, something I've been working on, and even just some of the like, the more interesting like NFT things like, you know, crypto punks. So sort of like diving into the aspects of that and how that could be translated to different areas. Um, there's just a lot to sort of sift through and it's, it is a lot of noise. Um, and even still some of the technical things just go right over my head. So I try to keep it as simple as possible for me and just go after the things that are sort of like, at least I feel like this is something that I could really invest myself in following for a while. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of projects uh, out there, and you know, and and I think I think most people, uh, um, you know, any anyone who has any interest in this, like myself, it's very much a secondary thing, but it can consume so much of your time reading white papers and you know and clicking through links that have other links to other things, and yeah, you can definitely rabbit hole very very quickly in this space for sure. I think you know part of it is luck, right? But one of the interesting things is that you now have. Uh, people who don't actually work for anyone, but they work for a variety of uh, DAOs or decentralized organizations or projects. And it's like, you know, for, if they get onto the right one, they've been rewarded in the tokens of that. And then all of a sudden the tokens shoot up to five, ten dollars Like they are now, you know, $100,000 or a million dollars sitting in their wallet, you know. Um, and so you're starting to see sort of a different approach to people who are working in the industry as well, where it's not just like, well, I'm going to work for this one employer and that's my thing. It's like, I'm going to work for them, but then I'm also, you know, I'm helping you know, curate this community on this DAO on the side too. And I'm getting paid in tokens for that. And I'm doing this other thing here too. So you're starting to see people spread themselves across projects and that becomes their work because one of the interesting things about token tokenization in general is that you can monetize communities in that way. So if you're performing roles within the community, you can get rewarded financially for that. And that, if the market is doing well, can be enough to supplement a full income to a, a lesser extent than like actually supplementing an income but th maybe it could S some of the, the projects that, that i've looked at w are you know based on that reward based system so you know if you are a, say a fan of an artist and you do an action like stream something post something like something whatever it might be whatever that action is uh, you can then earn 
uh, a, a token, whatever that token may be, as a, as a reward for that action. And and theoretically, you know, be, just by being a super fan of of maybe a range of artists, you could actually theoretically, you know, earn you know some supplementary income. Maybe it's maybe it's just enough to pay for the petrol to get in the car to go to the gig, right? Maybe it's just like that. But 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 why not? What why not? It, why not become? I mean, what, one of the things I perhaps would liken this to is, is the idea of it being a street team. Now, sometimes street teams were just, you know, kids at universities that, you know, got sent some posters and they put them up in their local venue. Or it was actually they were activated. They were working for, say, a record company that was that was paying for them to do genuine street, you know, sort of focused street team activities. Why not, right? Yeah, I think you know one of the you know one of the groups I'm a part of is called um, FWB Friends with Benefits, um, which was started largely mostly in music people working in various spaces. But now there's like a large community and there's like thousands and thousands of members now. But it's just it's it's coordinated and run entirely on a Discord server. Uh, but to actually enter, you have to hold a certain amount of the tokens to get in. I think you have to hold like sixty FWB coins, um, which is a little. Uh, it's a little Ponzi-ish. Um, and so I think that they're, they're doing a really good job of trying to work out how that adds value, right? Um, so, you know, at one stage, like, you know, I think tokens are worth like $5 now, but at one stage they're worth like nearly $20. So your 60 FWB actually accrues in value. And it was kind of like, as more people were joining, it was part of this like market, market cycle. So as more people joined, the price of it went up. So everyone loved it. Cause it's like, well, if I can get more people to join, the price of this goes up, which to me is like a little Ponzi-ish. But so I think for those communities, like they need to find some way to tap revenue into the value. Like there has to be some form of revenue to me anyway, that, that is driving the price of that. Otherwise it is just like, uh, instead of like tokenomics, it's just like Ponzi-nomics, you know, it's just sort of like, well, the more people that join, the more valuable it is, which is, it's a bit weird. But I think the community is doing a pretty good job of trying to figure out how to draw those revenue income so that the value of the token is actually based on something real and not just like, you know, how many people I can get to join up. Uh, and I, I was going to ask, are there any sort of non-music industry cases that, that you, the use cases out that, that you like, but I, you've kind of already done that. So I don't know if there's anything else in particular you wanted to add to that. Like in the financial side of things, like really interesting. Um, you know, a lot of people can make fair criticisms that I think people working in these projects are very bold in their claims and how it can disrupt financial services. But uh, I, I do think to a point there, they're correct. Uh, and that's why you are seeing uh, you know, reserve banks push back and things like that because they're not going to give up the sovereignty of the currency. So there's that general risk there. And this is where it could potentially lead to. You can start to build entire ecosystems. Even now, you could start to get paid in stable coins. And if there's a mechanism for you to actually utilize those in your day to day, then you don't need to need a bank account anymore. Like it's getting closer and closer to that point. And I think that's what reserve banks are starting to take notice of. So the things that are happening at a financial level, like really, really interesting. Yeah, very good. Okay, well, we've uh, come up on time, which is amazing because it's flown by. Um, so to my listeners, thank you for listening. As ever, I welcome all feedback, comments, and suggestions for future shows. My Twitter handle is at Alex Branson, or you can go to the website, www.abcmusic.co, and there's a contact page on there. Thank you, Dan, very much for your help. I will put links to uh, your projects uh, in the show notes. Awesome. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Cheers. Cheers.